Hello, and thank you for joining us on Newsmakers on CHCH Podcast, taking a deeper dive into the stories of the day. And today, with the return of the Ontario legislature, I'm very pleased to be joined by political commentator Keith Leslie. And uh, Keith, I want to jump right into it. Let's go back one week ago. Doug Ford was at least publicly still committed to going ahead with his plans for the Greenbelt. In your estimation, what changed in that 48 hours that followed that made him change his mind? I think it was, the, of course, it was cumulative. I mean, the government's been getting its bum handed to it, you know, since those two auditor and integrity commissioner reports came out. But I think what really did it was his whole Vegas vacation with the former minister and a staffer right out of Ford's office on housing and a developer from the Greenbelt. And, of course, it turns out they um, misled or lied, depends on how you want to look at, to the integrity commissioner about the dates for this and said they just happened to run into the developer in the lobby. They were totally surprised. And then they all went for massages together. Just it, it just the sordid details of this, I think, just became the last straw. The, le- the legislature was going to be resuming this week and the government just looked at it and went, we just cannot ride this out. They thought for the longest time they could ride this out, that, you know, th- their goal of building housing was just so noble that the fact they broke the Greenbelt promise was just something that, you know, people would eventually come on side with. They finally saw that that was just not the case. I think it took them way longer than it should have. But as I say, I think perhaps just we'd already heard about Mr. X and how he was making a million dollars just by lobbying to get some Greenbelt lands freed up. And those lands were freed up. Then we've heard about other, you know, the, the, these types of characters, the, the, the stag and doe with the, uh, uh, the, the, the fundraiser, the chief fundraiser for the PC Party of Ontario was selling $150 stag tickets uh, for the premier's soon to be son-in-law uh, to developers. All this kind of stuff, the details like this, it just, the smell just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I'd say the salacious, salacious details about this Vegas vacation uh, just, I think, put it over the top. They went, we cannot ride this out anymore. The legislature's resuming. We got to just start up, you know, take the major step, walk it back, promise we'll never do it again. Uh, but our, our, our deeds were noble. Uh, our intentions were noble. And, and for goodness sakes, you know, uh, don't judge us on this because, uh, you know, a leader admits his mistakes. That was Doug Ford's take. A leader admits his mistakes. It just seemed a bit rich given the, the huge climb down he just made that everyone had been asking for for months. He praised his own decision at Queen's Park yesterday, said this is what leadership looks like. Look at what I did. To that point, he did. He did reverse his decision. Does he deserve any credit for changing his mind on this? Sure. When you're forced into it, you know, they've got you in a half Nelson or whatever, you have no choice, you can't breathe. I guess there's credit for finally doing the right thing. Uh, you know, others have said there's no t- no wrong time to do the right thing. Uh, but politically, I think it was almost the wrong time. He should have done it much sooner to try and save uh, his political skin and the skin of what used to be known as the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario, and of course is now known as Ford Nation. Uh, and I think that branding is, is this is where we. Uh, we need to see some change, some backbone into these uh, former PCers who are still identified as PC members uh, to stand up to this and just say, you know, you're the drag on us now. You're taking us down. You're no longer looking up for the, the little guy that you always claim to be. You know, it's the, the richest of the rich that are getting even richer off, off this whole crazy deal that no one wanted in the first place. So I think it's, it's, it's going to be a tougher time for Doug Ford going forward. And it's especially tough for him because he likes to be liked. And I think he just he doesn't understand. Well, I've done the right thing now. Why can't we just, you know, move on? 
Well, because there's far, far, far too many questions uh, to be unearthed here. And I, I think, you know, they're going to fight it all the way. But I think eventually there's going to have to be some sort of public inquiry into this whole uh, Greenbelt scandal. It seems anyway, and and you mentioned Ford Nation and just, you know, how all these PCs have managed to rally behind him. They follow his directives very, very well. We saw the last uh, election cycle, you know, he had kind of led the way in saying, you know, don't feel like you need to do debates. And what happened? PCs didn't do debates. He's obviously well respected within his party. Does Do you think he still has the full support of his party? Because nobody's really saying anything. We saw the resignations, Monty McNaughton, if we want to read into that a little bit. But do you think he still has the full support of his party? And if there were cracks, what would that look like? Well, it would look like, uh, and I think we saw it last Thursday in Niagara Falls when the cabinet had to line up behind him for this big retreat. First of all, Monty McNaughton wasn't there, but of course he knew he was going to be stepping down. So that's fair enough. Uh, And I don't think his resignation was necessarily related to the Greenbelt scandal at all. Uh, But of course it hurt. It was the third cabinet minister to go in as many weeks. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't help. But the rest of the cabinet that stood behind Doug Ford as he proclaimed to be doing the right thing and showing leadership by backing down, doing a 180 and finally putting those lands back into the Greenbelt that he took out they were some grim looking faces standing behind him there uh they were pretty stoic no one was smiling that's for sure and of course it was a caucus retreat so it's the rest of the backbenchers that don't have cabinet seats and the the power that comes with them their power is you know going home in their writings and getting beat up over the greenbelt scandal and bringing it back so i think at this retreat uh you know that's when doug ford he, doug ford finally heard it for two solid days from his backbenchers from his cabinet we just can't ride this out whatever advisors are telling you that we can are wrong politically we're just getting hammered and you know their, their own internal polling i'm sure is showing that they're just you know falling off a cliff uh well you mentioned the polling let's take a look at the most recent polling we have and obviously these numbers are as of september 2nd this is abacus data the toronto star they came up with a poll at the beginning of the month in a survey of more than 2,000 eligible voters who were asked if an election was held today who would you vote for conservatives 34 percent that's down four percent from the uh, midsummer where they were at 38 percent it's also the lowest since the last provincial election we're going to see new numbers i'm sure very soon how do you think those are going to look uh, once the new polling comes around I think those Tory numbers are going to be even lower. I mean, if you look, the Liberals at 28% when they don't even have a leader. They're in the middle of a leadership race that, let's face it, not very many people are paying any attention to whatsoever. Uh, that they can pull that close to the Tories at this point and actually be above the op- official opposition NDP. Bad news for the NDP, good news for the Liberals, and, and really bad news for the Conservatives. Because as you say, once this Greenbelt uh, fiasco and the resignations and cabinet shuffles and all the dancing in the legislature this week, once that's all factored in, those polls are going to, uh, I think, the PC numbers are going to take another big, big hit. But in that last one, just to your point, you know, we went from 38% to 34%. Well, 38% doesn't sound great. You can get a majority government with 38%. Uh, We will get to the liberal. We'll talk about the liberal uh, leadership uh, because we got you here for a bit, Keith. So I'm going to make sure we get into that. We'll get into some of those NDP numbers as well. But how does the Ford government move on from this? They would want nothing more than to put Greenbelt, Greenbelt, Greenbelt behind them. What's that going to look like? I think it's going to look like just what we saw in the legislature this week. No matter what question gets thrown at them about hmm. the details of the green belt or what, who tipped off who, who knew what, when, 
We built houses. We built long-term care homes. We're building your new transit. We're building your new schools. We're just going to plow ahead. That's their style. I mean, you just uh, the, the slogan is flood the zone. They just keep flooding the zone with announcements and daily news. And let's face it, when you know a new uh, nursing home is built in your community, in many, many places, that's big news. And it's a big help to the community. Uh, new schools are a huge deal. So the government, it has an awful lot of money that it's spending, not just for positive news, but for very positive outcomes as well. And those outcomes can indeed help the government's population. But right now, I don't think there's a progressive conservative uh, member, cabinet minister, anyone can stick their head above the ground without getting nailed on this green belt. Why did you do it? Who was doing what? What were you trying to achieve? And why on earth would you have broken such a major, major promise? Do you think that every day, though, we get further and further away from this and the PCs keep repeating the same talking points again, deflecting, changing the subject like we've seen the last two days at Queen's Park? Do you get the sense that every day we move forward, uh, move past it? it's likelier that Ford comes through this. I'm not so sure, because the uh, the opposition parties aren't going to let go. I'm surprised that they didn't ask every single question about the Greenbelt, but they're, they've got other topics, other issues they have to deal with as well. But no, they're not going to let go. The reporters, the journalists around Queen's Park are not going to stop digging into all this. There's just so much that's unknown. The Integrity Commissioner is still looking at various complaints from the members, and the, the Green Party leader, Mike Schreiner, has actually asked the Integrity Commissioner to open an independent inquiry. He has the best chance of actually getting something done here. You'll never get the government to agree to an inquiry until they're defeated. Remember the progressive conservative government of Mike Harris, where they, the, the liberals were demanding an inquiry into the Ipawa shooting, and it never happened until five years later when they were out of office and the liberals finally get in. If we want an actual public inquiry, you know, judicial inquiry, it may take to the PCs or out of office, and no one wants to wait that long. I think the integrity commissioner is in the best position to get an actual independent inquiry set up and going. He has the authority to do that. And as I say, the Green leader, Mike Schreiner, that seems to be the strongest proposal I've seen so far this week. The NDP's attempt to get a, a speaker's warrant well, and to pass their own Greenbelt bill. Anything that's going to require uh, unanimous consent from the progressive conservatives is just not going to happen. No. So that's why I think Mike Schreiner's taken at least the strongest, um, perhaps, open tactic that can, that can actually get a result here. But the NDP have also been really, really strong in the legislature. I thought they were better Tuesday than Monday when Merritt Stiles really started nailing in on this Vegas vacation and uh, who was with where and who paid for this and how come three years later they were paying it back in cash and who bought the tickets. It all, again, it just looks so bad, this particular angle. And uh, Premier Ford punted every single question except for one, and he stood up and said, uh, you know, I've been cleared by the integrity commissioner and the auditor general and sat back down. Uh, so that kind of attitude is not going to have the, maybe it's that, you know, they want them to stop and, and move forward to every other topic. It's not going to go away. And of course, and uh, uh, all of that looming in the background is the Mounties. They've got the OPP yep. file that was handed over that the OPP said, we have to stop now. We have a potential conflict of interest, which we have no idea what that is. Uh, but they've handed something to the RCMP and they've had it for a while. They haven't ruled out an investigation, but they haven't ruled one in either. So uh, that hanging in the background, I think, is going to be a cloud uh, right over the, the PC government and, and Premier Doug Ford for quite some time to come. It was a month ago today, actually, that the RCMP said that they were reviewing potential irregularities after that referral from the OPP. Uh, let's go back to Marit Stiles, who you mentioned there, uh, obviously front and center at Queen's Park the last two days. She seemed to take a victory lap over this reversal yesterday. How much credit can she and the NDP take for this reversal? 
Oh, I think they're entitled to take a bit of a victory lap on this. I think the opposition parties have done uh, some pretty good work. I think journalists, independent journalists in particular, have done some really, really strong work on the, on this particular file. But everyone was do a bit of a victory lap. Uh, let's face it, even though Doug Ford has reversed himself on other issues before, this didn't seem like he was going to do it. This one, he really seemed to dig in. And every time he was pushed, remember, they doubled down and said, OK, we're going to review all the Greenbelt lands, every application to open it up. Whoa. That was a week ago. That was a week ago, yeah, Keith. That, that, that <laughs> a week really, and a half ago. <laughs> boy, in it? politics, as they say, a week is a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, they were going to open up everything. It, 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 that was such stunning news. We didn't even realize it when he said it, that that's what was happening. That, that literally every application, 600 plus applications were going to be looked at for the green belt. Uh, and then, of course, they, you know, it just boom, boom, boom. So uh, I guess they ran out of napkins to write the, the rest of the policy on the back of. But they finally eventually got to the right place. But there's just so many questions here. And I think the NDP uh, and the Greens and the Liberals, I mean, they all spoke extremely strongly. Uh, you don't often hear opposition leaders using the word corruption outside of the legislature where they have, you know, protection. Uh, they were taking, saying this everywhere, and they were really, really hard with this government, uh, calling them to account on this. So I think everybody deserves a bit of a victory lap, uh, except for the, uh, the advisors to the uh, PC party. Now, you mentioned the upcoming, well, the upcoming election. We're talking about an election that's in more than two years away. I had Monique Taylor on here last week, and I asked, how do you make this an issue? You know, she, she said, we're going to keep talking about it. That was before the reversal. But how is this an issue two and a half years from now? How do the opposition, how do the liberals, how do the Greens not let the Ford government just push this under the rug and, and you know, tout their successes come 2025? Oh, they will do that, of course, but you just keep pushing it. I, I, I remember at the time of the gas plant scandal, uh, when the liberals were, were having this, you know, a billion dollar uh, boondoggle, uh, and there was a, a period of at least two years I think, if not more, where every story I wrote for the Canadian Press News Agency, I could tie to the gas plant scandal. It did not matter what the premier had to say that day. The mm -hmm. gas plant scandal got worked into it. And the green belt is so all pervasive. It's tied in now with Highway 413, the Brantford Bypass. What's going on on Ontario Place, that 95-year lease. All these kinds of secret deals are just so ripe for people to just keep digging in and digging in and finding out more and more and raising more and more questions. And at every step of the way, the government looks, you know, not at all transparent. And, and after the green belt, you're going to have to start explaining yourself on a lot, awful lot more of these files. You're going to have to be an awful lot more transparent than you have been. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they still haven't been at all transparent, really, on the green belt file. When you have the premier standing up and say, I've been cleared by the integrity commissioner and the auditor general. Thanks. Good night. <laughs> No, no, absolutely. Uh, speaking of the next election, which we just were, uh, we don't know who the Liberals will be putting forward as their leader uh, as they train, as they try to regain official party status in the Ontario legislature. We'll get to the candidates in a moment. But with interim leader John Fraser being front and center, was this a missed opportunity for the next leader, the person who will be running in the election, to be in the center of this scandal? Perhaps. Perhaps it was, but at least, you know, they're, they're, they're actually having a leadership race. And I think we've seen from the NDP not having a leadership race when Merritt Stiles mm -hmm. took over that she was just there on the job one day. And for a great many Ontarians, they, they didn't know who she was and where she came from. I mean, you know, Horvath, Andrea Horvath was gone and the, this new one was in her place. There was no leadership race. The publicity from a leadership race can really help the winner, you know, solidify themselves in the job and take off. Uh, Styles is official opposition leader, so that put her in a position where, of course, now we've seen her talents and seen what she can do. But for the next liberal leader, um, 
it's all up in the air at this point, isn't it? I mean, it, who's got the skill set that can not only take on Doug Ford, but can actually lead the liberals, bring them back together? Because they're, uh, as you say, they have two elections where they failed to reach official party status, and yet they're still polling between the NDP and the government, and the PC government. So there's an awful lot of liberals out there who stayed home the last couple of elections. They just need the right leader that's going to appeal to them, bring them in, and then I think we have a real challenger for Ford uh, in 2026. But whoever it is is going to come in fresh and just say, you know what? I've been reading, I've been following this Greenbelt scandal from outside the legislature or from outside, and it just stinks to high heaven. And they're just gonna, there's just going to be so much more. Uh, three years is a long time to keep an issue like this alive, but it doesn't mean it's going away. If you remember, I mean, there was the e-health scandal that the liberals had, another billion-dollar boondoggle, as hmm. they say. Everything seems to cost a billion dollars in the old days. probably going to be $10 billion. This one's 16 billion. Anyway, uh, these boondoggles... Uh, they stay in the news for quite a while. They stick to people because people can, can understand that. You put those gas plants there for a political motivation. You open up these green belt lands and you know, favored particular developers who were heavy donated, donors to the PC party who you knew well, who your chiefs of staff and your housing ministry were at party. It all just looks so, so bad that uh, they're just going to have to keep uh, fighting away against it. But I think the opposition parties and the journalists are just going to keep hammering and I think it could get worse. It could, you know, we haven't heard the worst of it yet. The, the big climb down has not stopped the problem for the, the, the PC government. Well put. Let's get to the leadership race. Many people I've talked to have said, Bonnie Crombie, the clear front runner. Do you see it that way? And, uh, and what do you think has elevated her to the status of front runner as you know, we've gone through our two debates now so far in the Ontario Liberal leadership race? I'm not sure. I guess for the most part, it's name recognition. I mean, uh, she just, even before she came into the race, she was considered the leader. Uh, and, you know, like if you're Yasser Nakfi, the former attorney general for the province of Ontario and a federal MP as well, and it's like your last place. People don't even, so uh, Crombie coming in, I, I think there's a whole lot of uh, the fact that she has no uh, baggage, you know, with the provincial liberal party or around Queen's Park, but she does have a record of tangling with Doug Ford. Yeah. Uh, and that's good. And of course, we've seen her uh, stand up to him in, in uh, already, and he, he seems to be the one uh, that the PC, or she, excuse me, seems to be the one that, that Doug Ford and the PCs yeah. are most concerned about. They're the ones that, you know, they keep talking about her, criticizing her for taking a leave of absence as the mayor of Mississauga and whatnot. So what? <laughs> uh, you know, she's running against, I think, She's clearly in the driver's seat in this. Uh, her name recognition is apparently uh, a lot broader than Southern Ontario, uh, and it's helping her with Liberals. So we'll see the debates. I mean, uh, she's pretty smooth. I, I, I thought the response where, you know, uh, uh, was it Nathan Erskine Smith uh, tried to push her on the, uh, you know, are you still going to open up, uh, are you still open up to uh, Greenbelt land swaps yeah. in the future? And she just said, oh, you know, I don't want to be in one of our ads criticizing you. You don't want to be in one of our ads criticizing me if I win. It was uh, a nice way of coming back and saying, you know, let's, let's not try and taint each other with the Greenbelt. Let's just leave that one in the Tory uh, uh, lap. What will you be watching the next few weeks? You mentioned, you know, how much the NDP can continue to bring this up, how much the PCs can deflect those questions. But there's a lot going on. There was a there was a healthcare rally uh, these last two days. Uh, there's protesters. It sounds like at Queens Park these days as well, almost every day. What will you be watching in the coming weeks as as they as the PCs try to return to normal? Well, I, I think normal is going to be more health care protests in particular. Um, 
there's more privatization going on than I think people are prepared to accept, especially after a summer, we're now into the fall, of emergency room closures everywhere, just all over the place. Uh, most of them are temporary, not permanent, I, sh I should be clear, but still there's hundreds of them going on. And this is a staffing issue. I'm sorry, you've been the government for five years now. It's no longer appropriate to be blaming the Liberals. This is on Doug Ford, who promised to end hallway medicine. Uh, I read a piece yesterday, a woman, uh, or, or today, a woman was taken to the hospital and kept in the ambulance bay with uh, curtains put up around her. Wow. Uh, in the parking garage, essentially. Yeah. Uh, th this is so far beyond what most people are prepared to accept. The other thing to keep an eye out for, and, and uh, we saw the Premier and, and the Education Minister weigh into this. I'm not sure why they want to do this other than as a complete distraction uh, from their Greenbelt woes. But they started talking about parental rights. And they're not talking about legislation like they, they are in New Brunswick and, and Saskatchewan. But they're still they're wading into this issue about, you know, uh, making kids uh, or, or teachers, you know, come out to the, the kids, come out to their parents before they come out to their teacher or have the school tell or whatever the heck they mean by all this. This wedge parental rights issue that's coming in clearly from the United States. Uh, and it's just a major distraction. But it has scared the heck out of an awful lot of parents and, and kids, uh, LGBTQ kids, uh, and, and their supporters, they're frightened now that this government is going to start, you know, having teachers or putting teachers in the position of having to tell their parents if they've come out to them at school, which, you know, it's not a teacher's job. Uh, a teacher's job is to make a kid feel welcome at school amongst everything else. Hmm. And uh, so... It just seems a bizarre issue, but we've already seen the types of protests. There's not just protests at the schools about this, are there? There's protests and counter-protests every single time. Both sides are organized. It's such a wedge issue. It, it, it just brings violence to the schools uh, or threats of it. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, there's been a couple of people dragged and pushed, but it's just completely the wrong message, and the kids are caught in the middle of all this. And I bet you if we went in and asked an assembly what to do, they would just say, would everybody just go home? Hmm. Well, we, we're here in Hamilton are dealing with uh, numerous bomb threats called in to, uh, to elementary schools and high schools. Uh, it's now been two days. Dozens of schools have been affected. Um, and again, you mentioned it. We saw it here in Hamilton, the thousands of people in Burlington that, that took to the streets to protest and counter-protest. You mentioned American-style politics, and the question I posed to Monique Taylor last week as well was, how concerned are you? about American-style politics coming to Canada. That is it already here, and, and what can we do to prevent it? I think it's already here. I think since we had the truckers' convoy last year, we saw the extent of it in Canada. Uh, we saw that um, an awful lot of people were pushed uh, originally, for, you know, they, they, they were either anti-vaccine for themselves, they weren't anti-vax totally, but for their own choice, they didn't want to take a vaccine, anti-vax wearing or anti-mask wearing. And then all of a sudden it got to, you know, the government's infringing on all our rights and it just went so far down to what a great many people viewed as a rabbit hole. Uh, but again, it's fueled by this, this right-wing thinking and these talking points coming up from the United States. What Canadians have lost their freedoms? Yes, there were people that were not allowed to travel if they didn't get a vaccine, not allowed to use air travel or trains. Um, that's unfortunate, but it was what helped us get through a pandemic. What does scare me to some extent now is that it seems COVID is on the rise again. It seems to be I'm hearing about people with COVID all over the place right now. And if they start pushing again to bring in masks, uh, they're already asking us to take more vaccines. And you know, there's going to be, you know, less acceptance of vaccines this time, which scares me. But I think even mask wearing is going to be, you know, divisive. And it absolutely shouldn't be.
Yeah, and again, to localize it here, Hamilton Health Science is announcing that uh, masking will be required uh, in hospitals with patients. Uh, and again, our, our own mayor, Ham, uh, Hamilton Mayor Andrew Horvath, uh, testing positive for COVID. I'm with you. I don't think I think COVID is going to be a lot bigger story than we think it's going to be in the next few weeks. But uh, Keith, before we let you go, I need to know. How many albums are there behind you? I mean, like, I'm trying to do the, I'm trying to count. Uh, how many albums do you have them categorized? I know my dad has all his albums, all his cassettes categorized. Uh, how are you with your organization there? How many do you have? There's about 1,500 of them. Okay. And they're all organized, uh, of course, within an inch of their life, alphabetically, by decade, by genre. Uh, and they're all listed on Discord. So I've got you know, a real good catalog of them. It's, it's a real hobby. And I've had it since I got into radio. I started in radio at CKOC in Hamilton in the late 70s. <laughs> and I've been collecting records ever since. Uh, well, that is something you and I have in common. I, I, I do have to admit it was a uh, it was a Hamilton sports talk station uh, when I called CKOC <laughs> 1150 uh, home. Uh, but again, uh, obviously uh, a little piece of Hamilton history there for both of us. Uh, Keith, I really appreciate you making the time uh, today. Lots to get into. I'm sure I'll have you back on. Thank you so much for doing this. Glad to do it. Thanks for awesome. having me. My thanks to uh, Keith Leslie for joining me today. And my thanks to you as well. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe to uh, CHCH podcast so you never miss an episode of this show or the Trending Now podcast. Uh, and again, there it is right there on your screen if you are watching this. Uh, if you're listening to this, you can go to chch.com slash podcast uh, where you can find all the links to get the latest episodes. Uh, thanks so much for everyone's help who put this show together. And again, thank you for listening. I'm Louis Butko. Have a great day.